Even though the book of Jude was a small book, it packed a lot of great truths in a short space. And at some points, it even sounds a little bit redundant. But as I mentioned at the beginning, repetition in the Bible is not uncommon because the authors wanted to get their point across. First, Second Peter and Jude are almost the same context, the same thing written to different people. Those of you who are teachers here, repetition is the mother of learning, right? Zig Ziglar says, repetition is the mother of learning, the father of action, which makes it the architect of accomplishment. So when you hear things in the Bible that seem to be repetitive, it's God wanting to get a point across so we understand exactly what he says. So now we're getting to the end of this small book and we're getting ready to say, he's getting ready to say goodbye to his, his readers, people who he addressed a letter to. Jude verse 17 says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Now he's addressing the people in the church and he's saying to remember what who said, what the apostles had taught. And in this case, the apostles were the ones who had actually seen the risen Christ. They were the ones who were taught by Christ. They experienced his resurrection and were commissioned personally by Christ to go out and minister. That's this group of apostles. And he says, you're going to pay attention to them first. Whatever they've taught, listen to them. Everything else comes secondary and has to line up with what they originally taught. Now, the Bible in this time had not been completed yet, so there's no New Testament to compare with. So he's saying that whatever they taught, that's the plumb line. That's what you have to go by. Once the New Testament's written, then we have the rest of it. But as their readers, they didn't have that. And Judah's saying, whatever you heard from them, measure everything else by that. Many were claiming to have the truth. And as we talked about, there's a lot of false teachers going on. That's the topic of this book. And he's saying, if their truth, whatever they're teaching you, does not match up with what the apostles told you and taught you, then you need to disregard that. And it's like we have today. We have the Bible. So whatever you hear that's not in line with the Bible, you disregard it. The New Testament and the Old Testament, that becomes our standard. Everything we teach, everything we do has to be measured by the Bible, what the Bible says about it. The letters we have today from the New Testament were some of the apostles' teaching that were actually written down. So what they were teaching, they wrote down, that's what we have today. So what was foretold by the apostles in Jesus? What was, he says, remember what the apostles of Jesus said was foretold. Some of what we read today would possibly have been known by Jude's people already. So what were some of the things that were foretold by Christ? Well, he first told them to get ready to face hardships, right? Our companion letter, 2 Peter, which is the same topic. 2 Peter uh, 1, verse 12 says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth, again, repetitive, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. He's gonna, he's gonna die. Verse 15, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. There's gonna be hardships in your Christian walk. How many have experienced those so far? As we heard, God doesn't always answer our prayer the way we want him to. He answers it the best way but it's not always the way we would like. So Jude 18 goes on. He says, they, 
Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about the apostles. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who will divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Now he's going back to the original topic of the book, defending the faith, describing people who are teaching false doctrine. And he wants, to remember, he wants them to remember what he's also, or they've probably heard from other people. Other teachers, other teachings, we assume made their way into Jude's church, whatever he, whoever he's addressing. I'm sure that some of the people that were, some of the other letters were found out by Jude. So they knew what he was talking about. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Now, probably every generation can say that this type of people exist today. But I think we're seeing it exponentially. 2 Timothy 3.10 says, However, you know all these teachings of my, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions and sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Icamp, Lystra, and the persecutions I endured. That's Paul talking to Timothy. And then 2 Timothy 3.12, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So he's telling them, this is what was foretold by the apostles. This is what was foretold through, from Jesus through the apostles. It's going to be difficult for you to be a believer. Now, I think in this country right now, we have it pretty, pretty easy. Although when I see what things are going on around the world, I think that might change. Uh, just look at our neighbors to the north, Canada. Pastors are jailed in Canada. Churches are closed in Canada. It's not going to be long before that happens here. And Jude's saying, we need to be ready for that. Are you ready for that type of thing to happen? Jude 8, our, our verse says, they said to you, in the last days there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. He's telling us that the people do not have the intention to unite us. Their, their, their goal is not to unite us. Their goal is to divide us. Now, true Christian churches who believe the essentials of the faith, we believe in the deity of Christ, virgin birth, the resurrection. If we believe that, we have fellowship with other churches, even though we may disagree on other other things in the Bible. Church politics, how the churches are run, that type of thing, end times events. We may all differ on that, but if we disagree, if we agree on the essentials, then we have fellowship. We are united with other churches who love Jesus. However, if the churches don't agree on the fundamentals, then we can't, we can't unite with them. We can't be part of them. We don't divide from them. They actually divide from us. Because when we teach the biblical truth, if they're not in line with biblical truth, they are going to 
want to not be a part of us. They're not going to want to be a part of our church or any true Christian church. And the false teachers, they don't seek to unite the body of Christ. They seek to divide from the body of Christ. And notice it says that they don't have the Spirit. The Bible tells us that the folks who don't have the Holy Spirit aren't Christians. Now, I'm not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about when you are saved, the Bible says you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 9 says, however, you are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. He's saying the people that are coming in teaching these things, they're not, they're not Christians who have kind of strayed to the right. They're not even Christians. They're not believers. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're, they're teaching you things that are antithetical to what the Bible teaches, what the apostles have taught. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, this is what Paul says to Christians. He says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does the believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now, this, this, these verses are usually directed at, at dating and marriage. The Bible says if you are a Christian and your boyfriend, girlfriend is not, you should not date them any further because there's going to come a time where a separation occurs. And you should not marry them because there's going to come a time when separation occurs. I can tell you that from personal experience. Now, some folks call that missionary dating. How many have heard that term? I'm going to date someone who's not a Christian in hopes that they get saved. Okay? That's not how that works. It, very, it works occasionally. Most often it doesn't. And what usually happens in a relationship, one's a Christian, one's not a Christian, and they, oh, yeah, we love each other. We're, I'll, I'll go to church with you, no problem. They get married. And eventually, one of two things is going to happen. The one who's a Christian is going to want to start doing things that are Christ-like. And the one who's not a Christian is going to want to not do the things that are Christ-like. And so either the, the Christian argues about it or receives argument from the spouse who's not a Christian, or they give in to keep the peace, and they don't do the things that God wants them to do. More often than not, that's what happens. The person who's a Christian succumbs and says, you know what, okay, fine, so I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to go to church every Sunday. I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to do all the stuff that God asked me to do just because I want to keep the peace. And that's what usually happens in that type of situation, and that's why God says don't be yoked together. In church work, the same thing happens. Now, it doesn't mean our goal as a church to bring, we want everyone to come. We want everyone to hear the gospel no one's barred from hearing the gospel. But what we don't do is we don't allow people who don't believe the gospel to be a leader or to teach or to have any kind of influence because we're charged with teaching the church. We want anyone to come. Doesn't matter what you believe, you're welcome to come. We want you to hear the truth. We want you to hear the love of Christ. We want you to hear the gospel and we want your life to be transformed. At that point, awesome, we want you to be Members, we want you to be a part of the leadership team. We want you to be influential in what the church does. And so Jude's telling them, look, if they're false teachers, don't let them teach in your church. Don't let them be the instructors. Don't let them guide people away because they're going to eventually draw people away from the truth. 
even if folks aren't believers, nothing spiritual can be gained by listening to people who don't believe the gospel. Because a lot of times people are searching. They want to know. And I think everyone's searching. I've said before, everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. They either worship the true God or they worship their job or they worship their possessions or their family, whatever. Everybody worships something. And a lot of times, as we heard in our testimonies, you're searching for something. You know there's something out there. You don't know what it is, but you want something different. And if you're listening to people who don't believe the Bible, they're going to draw you off because they're going to have something that sounds good to you. It's going to sound like everything you want to hear. Marlene asked the question, what is your God like in our class today? For those who aren't Christians, who don't know what the Bible says about that, when you ask anybody on the street what their God is like, they will tell you that their God is exactly like they are. That everything that they like, their God is going to like. And everything that they don't like, their God is not going to like. In other words, they're making up their own God as they go along. And, and people who are looking for things, they want the truth. They're easily deceived by people who sound good. The Bible says, don't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. And Jude's saying, you need to guard, guard, guard what young Christians are listening to, what people who are searching are listening to. Be sure that you're protecting them with the truth. The phrase says, scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. In other words, they don't want anyone else telling them what to do. I like Warren Wisby says this, if a man says he has intellectual problems with the Bible, he probably has moral problems because the Bible contradicts what he's already doing. When people tell you they have an intellectual problem with the Bible, that it contradicts itself or whatever, their problem is not that. Their problem is the Bible's telling them not to do something that they're already doing or to, or to do something that they're not already doing. How many have heard the phrase, you can't legislate morality? Every law is somebody's version of morality. And when you come in and say, well, this is what God says and this is what God approves of, this is what God doesn't approve of, you may be contradicting something that they want to do or they like doing. And so they don't want to hear that and so they have a, a problem with the Bible. If Satan can substitute his own lies first into someone who's really looking for, for truth, the first thing they're going to do is try to get rid of God's truth. Either by scoffing at it or arguing it away. How many have had people laugh at you because you believe the Bible? How do you believe that antiquated book? Full of errors, full of, if you read the Old Testament, all kinds of bloodshed and all that kind of stuff. How can you believe that? They scoff at you. And it's okay. The Bible says it's going to happen. We just need to be sure we understand why we believe it. So how do you guard yourself? Verse 20 says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Christianity is not a stagnant faith. It's not a once and done experience. In other words, you, you can be saved once and you're done. But you grow through that. You always are encouraged to keep growing in the faith. Jesus, or Jude calls it, building yourself up. 
If you stand still, you go backwards. You ever been in, a, in a, an airplane at a hangar? And the airplane next to you is moving. It feels like you're moving, right? And it feels like you're going backwards because the plane over there is moving forward. Well, if we, if we don't grow in our knowledge and keep studying God's word, we are going to move backwards. The world is going to pass us up. False teachers are going to pass us up because we don't know God's word enough. We never stop wanting to learn. You know, the first thing that happens when you become an older person, you retire. What happens? If you don't, aren't active in learning and growing your mind, what happens? You become stagnant. I've, I've seen this with, with folks who, once they retire, and there's no work to do, they just... How many folks do you know that die right after retirement? Because they're, they're not being active, their brain's not being used. And it's easy to sit back and just become a couch potato. We have to constantly build ourselves up. In other words, until the day God calls you home, there's always something more to learn in God's Word. There's always something that you haven't learned or you've learned once and forgot. We need to build ourselves up. How many of, how many like cutting the grass? I don't mind it. I don't do it, but I don't mind it. What happens when you don't cut it? It becomes unmanageable, right? What takes over? Weeds. House deteriorates. When we moved back from Florida, our house was on the market. It was right at the time of, you know, we bought high and we sold low. Not a plan I recommend. But it was on the market for a long time, and, it, and my brothers were down there trying to keep up with it. But since no one lived there, things started happening to it. And if you're not constantly maintaining it, I mean, a pipe broke when no one was there. So there was a lot of damage. If you're not constantly keeping up in this stuff, it will eventually deteriorate. And if you're not caught up and you don't keep building yourselves up, your faith is going to deteriorate as well. The phrase build up is used in conjunction with increasing our faith and increasing our trust in God and increasing our desire to help the church. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Notice what it says, build each other up. You challenge each other, you encourage each other, you help them. If someone's down, you encourage them, you build them up and encourage them with God's word. Let, let God's word sink into them that you give them. And that's why I'm so big on being here on Sunday morning. Because not, it may not be something that's said from the front, but maybe something that's said in Sunday school. Or maybe someone prays with you in the foyer. Or says something to you downstairs during coffee hour. You know, something that it, they're building you up. They're encouraging you. And you get built up in the faith. It says, encourage one another. Build each other up. Ephesians 4.12 says that preachers are to build to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Our job is to only teach the Bible, period. And the Bible has, you know, has many applications. Our job is not to teach a self-help book. It's not to teach whatever the New York Times bestseller is. Our job is to teach this book 
So what? You are built up. And you should leave feeling encouraged because of God's word is truth. Romans 14, 19 says, So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. And when he talks about faith, faith is the orthodox body of truth contained and revealed in God's word. Everything we need for life and godliness, Titus tells us, is in God's word. Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Notice all these things are done as a group, as a family. There's no, there's no independent Christians. There's no solo pilot Christians. Acts 20.32 says, Now I commit, to you, commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. To build yourself up is to know and to do what God's word says. That verse goes on and says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. That means to let the Holy Spirit inspire you on what and how to pray. Praying in and for God's will. How many of you started praying and said, you know what? I have no idea how to pray. Or there's so many things going on in your mind that you're, you're focused on a thousand things and you just can't focus on prayer. The Bible says that sometimes when you can't, the Holy Spirit will groan through you and pray through you. It'll, it'll, he'll pray what you need to pray, but you don't know to pray. 1 John 5, 14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. Now, it says God's will, not my will, right? If we ask anything according to my will, that's a little different than anything according to God's will. Once you become more and more entrenched in God's word, you will know automatically what God's will is. And you start praying that way. We, we have the cross. And on that cross is mostly people, loved ones and friends who don't know Christ. And we put them on the cross. And since January 1, we've been praying that God draws them to the cross, that God saves them. Well, what's the Bible say? God is long-suffering, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance, okay? God's will is that everyone is saved. Not everyone will be, but his will is that they be saved. And the Bible says we are to pray for those who need him. And so we, we are praying in God's will that those folks come to know Christ. The Holy Spirit helps us to know his will over my will. I can tell if I haven't prayed for a while. My prayers become a little bit more selfish than if I pray every day. And we pray what the Bible tells us, what his word tells us. In the verse I used before, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It means, it can also mean praying in the spirit, in other words, tongues. Praying with your mind, language. When you pray in, your, in the spirit, when you use pray in tongues, your mind, I don't know about you, my mind is disengaged at that moment. Because I can pray in tongues but be thinking about a thousand other things. That's because the Holy Spirit is praying exactly what I need to pray. But there's also a time when you have to focus on English or whatever language you speak to 
pray because now your mind's engaged and now you're praying. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit. I will also sing with my mind. Both are engaged when you're praying because you want to understand what you're asking for and you want to be sure that what you're asking for is what God wants you to ask for. Jude verse 21 says, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. What's the expression of God's love? Christ, right? That's, that's his physical expression of his love for you. So we need to keep ourselves focused on Jesus and our love for him. What's the Bible say about loving Jesus? John 15, 10 says, if you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. So if we reject the commands of Jesus, we are in effect rejecting God's love. Jesus says, hey, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And the flip side of that is if you don't love me, then you're not gonna do what I say. How many of you have young kids or teenagers that when you tell them to do something, they say, uh, no. You young people, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, when they're three and four and five, they're just lovey-dovey, cuddle them. And they turn to be teenagers. Yeah, the moon turns on that one. What did Mark Twain say? You put children in a barrel, feed them through a hole in the barrel, when they become a teenager, plug up the hole. <laughs> when your children, they love you and they do anything to please you, you know they love you, right? But when they become teenagers and they defy you and they don't listen to you and they don't do anything you ask them to, you kind of question their love for you. If God tells us what to do and he tells us all the things to do because he loves us, and we ignore them, we, don't, we know them and we don't do them. We're basically saying to God, you know, I don't love you as much as I think I love you, or even as much as I say that I love you. He's telling us to remain faithful, to obey Christ. Why? Jude 21 says, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. In other words, we should be anticipating and waiting for the rapture, the Lord's return. That's what, are we excited about that? When I was a young Christian, I was kind of hoping God would kind of put that off. <laughs> I wanted to raise my kids and, you know, do the whole parent thing. Now that I'm older, okay, anytime now, Lord, be good. <laughs> right now would be great. The problem with that is how many people don't know Christ? And when the church is gone, the Holy Spirit is almost non-existent. And the witness of the Spirit is gonna be gone. We're not gonna be here praying for them. We're not gonna be here witnessing to them. People will be lost at that point. So even though we want Christ to come back and we know he can come back, that means we need to be ready for that. But we also need to be praying for those folks. So when it does happen, we've done all we can do in prayer and witnessing so they come to know Christ. Remember that it's by his grace that we have eternal life. 
and we should keep ourselves ready for that day. When I was, I have two brothers, one who's two years younger than me, one who's 14 years younger than me. And when we were teenagers, my brother and I, we would be charged with babysitting my, at the time, three or four year old brother. Yeah. That was probably not a wise decision on my parents' part. We used to also raise dogs. And so we would put my younger brother in a crate. And we would take his crib mattress and we would use our stairs as a slide, put him on the mattress and slide him down the stairs. And we would do all this stuff just like a movie, you know, and, and you would hopefully not get caught by your parents when they come home. And so we did everything we could to make sure everything was cleaned up. He wasn't bleeding too bad and he was okay when they got home. Because we knew, we knew that if we, they came home and we weren't ready, we would be in so much trouble. Out would come the Hot Wheel track and we would be done. That's what we need to be excited about when God returns. We need to be ready for that. We just can't sit around and do what we want to expect to God to return and all be all happy when we're doing our own thing. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And verse 13, While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, you experience God's grace, you need to be living as if he's coming today. There's a saying that says, live like Christ is coming today. Plan like he's not coming for 100 years. That means we don't go up and sit on a mountain with our stuff in a suitcase waiting for Christ to return. We work and we do everything we can to further the gospel, to reach people for Christ, and we do everything we can, keep working, and then when he comes, we're ready to go. We don't sit around waiting for that to happen. The next thing, or 2 Peter 3, 12, 11, 12 says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Why? As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So we need to be ready. We heard a testimony this morning. We need to be ready. The next thing he's telling us is to have spiritual discernment. How do we treat those who may be listening to false teachers? 2.22 says, be merciful to those who doubt. Those are the ones who are wavering. They fluctuate, they wanna do the right thing, but they have doubts and, and they're listening to so many people, they're not sure which way to go. Jude's saying, look, be merciful to them, you know, they're converts, they know Christ, but they don't, they're not grounded yet. And so you need to be merciful to them. Just like your, your four-year-old when they're trying to do something to please you, and in the process of doing that, they make a mess. You know their heart is in it. You know they wanted to please you, but they just destroyed something. As opposed to the teenager who destroys something on purpose. Jude's saying, look, they're, they're young people. They wanna do the right thing, but they're being led astray by these guys. You need to be merciful to them and draw them back and show them love and consideration. 1 Corinthians 3.1, Paul's telling that church, now these guys were in trouble. He says, brothers, I cannot address you as spiritual, 
but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. Now, the Corinthian church had been Christians for a while, but they were just acting like newbies. They were just acting like they had never heard anything before. They were doing what they wanted. But Jude's saying these guys are they're, they're new converts. They believe, but they don't have any teaching yet. You need to be careful with them. You want to be merciful and show them grace and love and, and gently guide them back to where they need to be. Be merciful to those whose faith isn't mature yet and who are being deceived. We need to make their salvation wonderful and God's word exciting to them. That's why I was encouraging everyone to give a testimony this morning. You know, everyone expects me to say whatever I'm saying. But it's nice to hear someone else saying that what God is doing for them, how God has really transformed their life. Like little children who think they know everything, or teenagers, we have to gently train them and teach them correctly with compassion. Little kids who don't know everything and we don't browbeat them in the knowledge, but we carefully teach them. Jude 23 goes on and says, snatch others from the fire and save them. These are the ones who are believing, but they're beginning to embrace what's being taught. We need to snatch them from where they are. The angels had to grab Lot and basically drag him out of Sodom before it was destroyed. Zechariah 3.1 says, then the angel showed me uh, Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Satan was there at the angel's right hand, accusing Joshua of many things. Then the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusation, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rejects you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Talking about Israel being brought back from Babylonian captivity, but bringing him back. He snatched him out of the fire of Babylon. Amos 4.11 says, I destroyed some of your cities as I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Those of you who survived were like half-burned sticks snatched from a fire. And this prophet was warning the people of Israel that if they continued in their sin, they're going to be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. And only a few survivors were left from that. They were snatched from destruction. And that means sometimes we have to be forceful when trying to deliver people from false teaching. No time for pussyfooting around. When I... When I talk to people who are close to death, and I've had a few of those, it's, you can't, you can't hesitate. You have to tell them the truth, and it may have to be harsh where they are. Because if they think, well, I have time, but they don't. You have to make them understand where they stand with the Lord. And if they die tonight, what's going to happen to them? And sometimes that means you've got to be snatching them out of the fire. Jude 23 says, To others show mercy fixed with fear, hating evil, the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. We need to be cautious when we try to rescue people because it's easy for us to be drawn into their web as well. There's a, there's a verse in the Bible that says, when people come knocking on your door, don't entertain people who don't believe what you believe. How many have had Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door? How many know that most of them are filled with people who were grown up in churches? Because they can teach you and they can tell you things that aren't necessarily true, but it sounds good. 
and they're good people and they dress nice and they do all the right things, but they're not. And, and Jude's saying, be careful when you talk to them because they might know more than you or think they know more than you and they might draw you away. And that's why the Bible says, don't even bring them in. Leave them outside. Now, my codicil of that is if you're ready to engage them and you know enough to engage them, engage them. Because they need to be safe too, right? You need to be on the offense with that. But you better be boned up on what you need to tell them. You know the scriptures. I went through, we used to, when we lived in Pittsburgh, we always had someone knocking on the door every Saturday in the nice weather. And so I, I was ready. I got my Bible out. I'm highlighting all the deity verses and I'm ready to go. I'm like, okay, come on, man. And they did. They came to the house and I brought them inside and I said, look, let me show you something in my Bible here, not yours. Let me show you something in my Bible. And I was showing them these verses. And one was a new guy and one was a seasoned guy. And they said, well, you know, what we'll think about that and we'll, we'll come back. They never came to my house again. I can see them walking, but they would always pass my house. Like, darn. But if you're not ready to go to engage them, they're going to sound good and they're going to draw you away. And Jude says, you need to be careful when you talk to people like that. No matter how strong you think you are as a believer, nobody here is above satanic influences. The clothing reference was an Old Testament reference to someone who was defiled. In other words, if someone touched a dead person or they touched someone's leprosy, they were defiled. They couldn't go to any feast. They had to burn their clothes, basically. He's saying, you need to be careful because if they defile you, they're going to bring you in and you're going to be totally defiled before God because they're going to, they're going to suck you in with their teaching. I said at the beginning, it's much easier to build children than repair men. When they're young, you just, you want to teach them the love of God and how Jesus is the truth and you want them to know that so that the Bible's always in their brain. So when they're old, the Bible says they won't depart from it. We want them to always know about Christ. It's a lot easier teaching a young person than it is to fix someone who's old, who is already set in their ways, who doesn't want to be taught anything. And that doesn't have to, you know, that could be a 20-year-old or a 90-year-old. The older you get, the harder it is to show them the truth. There used to be a statistic, I think it's higher now, that says 85% of people who come to know Christ do it before they're 18. The other 15% do it after they're 18. Why? Because they've already made up their mind. And no one's going to talk them out of it. Jude 24 and 25, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. You've probably heard this doxology or variations of it in different things. In other words, if we follow Christ, God's able to keep you from falling away. You read, you pray, you spend time with God. God will keep you from falling into error. Study God's Word, spend time in prayer, do what the Word says. God promises you. You won't, you'll be tempted, but He'll keep you solid because His Word will always come back to your mind. And when the time comes and after He keeps you, what, he, what will He do? He will present you and me into heaven 
without any fault. You ever go to a party or something that you didn't know anybody? You walk in, you're, just, you're the only person there. Wouldn't it be nice to know one person who could introduce you to the person having the party? Hey, John, this is my friend Jeff. He came to your party because I invited him. And you know the person invited, you know they're having the party. That's what Jesus does. The Bible says he introduces you to the Father. Hey, this is Jeff. He's a knucklehead, but he made it. It's God presents you, or Jesus presents you to the Father. We will be faultless at that point, and we will be in the presence of God who is all glory. I like the New Living Translation. I'll close with this verse. And now all glory to God who is able to keep you from stumbling and who will bring you into his glorious presence, innocent of sin and with great joy. In other words, Jesus has great joy bringing you to the Father. All glory to him who alone is God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, glory, majesty, power, and authority belong to him, Jesus, in the beginning, now, and forevermore. If you continue to build up your faith, keep building it up, God will keep you, and one day, he's going to introduce you to the Father. That day could be tomorrow, that day could be 50 years from now. Think of believers who's gone on before. They're in that presence right now. Your dad. Your mom. Your Bill. Lloyd. Brenda. Sue. You want to see him again? Contend for the faith. Know God's word, do God's word, and the Bible says he'll do the rest. He'll keep you and he'll present you. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Every service we always want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to make the decision to follow Christ. You've heard testimonies this morning of people who've made that choice recently and what it has meant to them. And I can't assume that people who come to church automatically know Christ because I did for three years and didn't know Christ. So if you're here, the Bible says not by accident you're here. You're here because God ordained you to be here to hear what was said this morning. And the Bible says that he stands at the doorway of your heart and knocks. If you don't know Christ, he's knocking on the door of your heart. And the Bible says if you are thinking about God, it's because God is making you think about him. The Bible says no one comes to God unless, unless the Father draws them. So if you feel that nudge, it's because God is nudging you to make the choice. The Bible says we're all sinners. None of us are worthy of heaven. The Bible also says that Jesus came to pay that penalty for you so that you can be there. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. 
So it's more than just a, a knowledge of Christ. It's the knowledge in your heart that you know that everything that's good was given to you by God. The only reason you're going to make it to heaven is because God paid the price for you to be there. If that's you and you've never made that choice and you want to be assured, you want to be assured of being ushered into the presence of God when this life is over, I want you to raise your hand. All right, I'm going to assume that all of us are followers of Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Each one of us had to make that choice at some point, and we are so thankful that you were long-suffering with us and that you did what was necessary so that we would, we would acknowledge that Jesus is our Savior. And Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here today. Lord, as we continue to realize that truth, Lord, that you love us more than we can imagine, and you gave us, your Bible says, every good and perfect gift is from our Father. And everything we have is from you. And the blessings and, the, and the, all the things you are doing for us and through us is because you love us. Your word says we can call you dad, crawl up in your lap, and cast all of our hard things on you. Lord, as we leave today, I just pray that each person realizes how much you love them how much you really care for them and how much you want them to grow in their knowledge of you. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in each life. And Father, we will be careful to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. Lord, I commit each person to you to do that work in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a tremendous day. I'm off the next two weeks. Gil has the con for two weeks. Be encouraged. It's going to be a great time. <laughs>